Good morning, church. Our reading this morning will be from the book of First John, chapter 4, verse 10 through to 12. And the Bible says, In this is love, not that we have loved him, sorry, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Redemption Tucson. Good morning. Happy birthday. A bunch of you guys that are new are going... Wow, this just doesn't feel like my birthday very much, but it is uh, the third birthday of this church, and that's no small deal. My name is Tyler Johnson, and I'm the lead pastor of Redemption Arizona. I presume, and I presume to be right, uh, but I presume there's a bunch of people in this room that are not that familiar with Redemption Tucson, let alone Redemption Arizona. So Redemption Arizona is a multi-congregational church with 10 congregations throughout the state of Arizona, of which Redemption Tucson is one of those. Dave, who is up here doing announcements, is the lead pastor of Redemption Tucson. And my job is to kind of lead in setting the direction, culture, vision, and ensuring all of these 10 congregations are moving together in alignment. So some of you may be familiar with churches that kind of operate like this. The difference is in Redemption, these congregations are very different. So it's really like an extended family. You know your extended family, uh, your cousins that you don't even want to claim. Um, but So there's some of that, hopefully not too much of not wanting to claim it, but very different uh, in the midst of this uh, family of churches called Redemption Church. So it's my delight to be here. Um, I'm here for, I guess, a couple different reasons, but one of them is to celebrate your birthday with you. And anniversaries or birthdays, if you want to call them that, really are memorials. They're a remembrance of who you are in your identity, uh, who for certain as a church, who God has called you to be. Why would a church even start from scratch to now this? There's a lot of people in this room, and it's really important that at anniversaries and birthdays, uh, whether this is your individual birthday or I met a couple that's here that has an anniversary, is that you really reflect on who am I? Who are we? And ultimately, what are we doing? And so that's my uh, desire here this morning, is just to really remind you of what you're doing and what being a part of a local church really is and uh, why we consistently do this. Before we go to prayer, uh, praying for this time in God's Word in 1 John 4 that was just read, I want to say this statement to you, which is a statement um, that was given by Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, love is the key that unlocks the door to ultimate reality. I'm going to say that again, and if you want to type it in your phone or write it down or Google it, you can. But Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the civil rights leader, said love is the key that unlocks the door to ultimate reality. So in a day and age where there's all kinds of confusion in a day and age of fake news that you don't even know if what you read on news stations is true or not true, 
there is a desire, I would hope a growing desire for that which is real. I know there's people in this room that go, I just want real relationships. I just want to be authentic. I just want to really know somebody in a real way. There is a human quest all the time for reality. Martin Luther King Jr. says love is the key that unlocks the door that opens us to ultimate reality. That's what we're going to talk about today from 1 John chapter 4. Father, uh, I pray that you would be with us. This passage is very clear that we cannot know love without knowing the source of love. And God, we can't know the source of ultimate reality without knowing love. So we pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. In Christ's name we pray, amen. 1 John 4, starting in verse 10, verse 10 says this, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. I have one charge to you that this is what it's all about. This is what this church is about. This is what reality is about. This is what your life's about, what your family is about, what your future family is ultimately about under the created reality, why you're here at this time. Here's the charge I'm giving to Redemption Tucson and all of you as individuals who are sitting in this room. Love. Be loved and love others. Be loved and love others. This passage starts with this statement. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. There's all kinds of conversation around love. You all are going to walk out today and in some form or some fashion, somebody's going to argue from the standpoint of love why you should do something or not do something. From the standpoint of love, as you move into local political elections or national political elections, people, you'll see signs, some of you may be familiar with this, with the word revolution and then the word love that's inside of revolution, even if it's backwards, will be highlighted to say we need a love revolution. People will claim why you should buy this product or not buy this product, and they'll argue from the standpoint of love. People will say these big cultural hot-button issues, you should take this stand because of love. Here's what God says. You cannot define love without God. This is what John's saying. You want love defined? In this is love. And it doesn't start with you. Not that we loved God, but he loved. Just before this, in 1 John 4, there's this very famous statement that people love to quote. It's in 1 John 4, just a couple verses before this, and it says, God is love. Who's love? God is love. I'm getting a bit older. Actually, this year, just in a few months, I'm going to turn 40. If you folks didn't know that, that's like over the hill, right? I know, that's right. Somebody said, dang, that's what I'm saying. Every day I wake up, I'm like, dang. 
There's all these things that change. Cliches are cliches for a reason. Remember that. Because when you're younger, you're in college and you're going and parents and old people say things and you're like, my God, they're just spitting cliches all the time. That's because they've actually hit up against real life and they're going, they just start saying like time flies, as you get old, your body hurts, you can't eat what you used to eat. These things are all true. My wife is now a vegan, right? Like I want to stick out my tongue and be like, oh, are you kidding me? So she says to me about a year ago, she's like, I made this vegan ice cream and it's unbelievable. And I'm thinking to myself, is that possible? Like <laughs> vegan ice cream, like by the definition of the term, I think that's impossible. So she says to me, here's what you do. You freeze bananas, you blend the bananas, you pour the blended bananas out, you blend some strawberries, you pour strawberries over the top. It's like a strawberry sundae, right? So it comes out, and I swear, it, is, it looks like ice cream. You're looking at this, the consistency's like it, it looks amazing. She's like, taste it, it's unbelievable. So I take a bite, and I'm like, that tastes like frozen bananas. <laughs> like, I guess that's amazing, right? And I thought to myself, now, Babe, you said this was vegan ice cream, right? It's missing one foundational component. Cream. Right? It's frozen fruit. That's not ice cream. Now, here's the deal. You're going to walk out today, and love's going to be spouted out all the time. Here's what John's saying. In order to rightfully evaluate what love is, there's a foundational component. It's God. The beauty of the Christian faith, which let me just tell you this, I didn't grow up in Christianity. I say this a lot. I stole it from a guy named Alistair McIntyre, and it's this statement. I'm a Christian from a human perspective, which you're going to see in a minute, that's not how it fundamentally ultimately happens, but I'm a Christian because I believe it makes the best sense of reality. If MLK is right, that love's the key that unlocks the door to ultimate reality, and I say I'm a Christian because it makes the best sense of reality, I think MLK is right. I think love makes the most sense of the world. The fundamental truth of Christianity is that there is a God who made all things and upholds all things in himself, and this God is love. He's triune. God's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which actually makes love possible. That there are three individual persons, is the way theologians have talked about it, who aren't each other, and yet who in love are one. God is one. And yet, he's three distinct persons. God is love, which means, based upon Christian teaching, love really is at the heart of the universe. Not like, that's a nice Hallmark card or a Hallmark bumper sticker, love's at the heart of the universe. Like, for real. For real, love is upholding the universe by its powerful word. God is love. You cannot understand love. You can't throw it around. Like, we got to be a more loving society without God. We can have hints of it. We can have echoes of it. 
We can have moments where we represent it more. We cannot have real, sustaining, true love without God. So when John says, I'm trying to teach a church, I'm trying to exhort a church, maybe on their third birthday, their third anniversary, to go, what's it all about? He's saying it's all about love. But realize this. In this is love. Not that you love God. Love can't start from us. Love can't start from you. It's impossible. Try it on your own. Try it on your own, especially love defined by God. It's impossible. This is the great truth of Christianity. is not that there is just a God who loves, but in our rebellion, he still pursued us. The most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That while we rejected love because we rejected God, he kept coming. He wasn't going to stop. Even when we went fist in your face, he kept coming because that's what love does. It keeps coming. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Will you put that passage up here again? I want you to follow this logic because this logic is incredible. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, in this is love, not that we loved God, right? The foundation part, foundational principle of love is God, which means if we want to talk about love, we got to talk about God's movement towards the world, God's movement towards us, God's movement towards you, God's movement towards Tucson. God's movement towards the U of A, which I have to remind myself of all the time, right, as an ASU grad. He did move to, he did move to U of A, right? God's movement, it starts from God because he is love. Not that we love God, it doesn't start from us, but that he loved us, and how did he love? How does love begin to be defined from God's perspective? He sent his son. This core component of what real love is, as evidenced in God, is that love gives. Let me just say this, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to say it because it's so important. Love gives to get. Love doesn't get first. Love's giving from God's perspective to get. This is really incredible. Now hear this. Because what we're saying is love won't even start. You won't even get to the point of being able to honestly and candidly give until you receive from God. But love, but, hear this, love is defined always outward. We say at Redemption Church and all the congregations, we're gospel-centered. It begins with God and outward-focused, and they're inseparable. So when this Pharisee in Matthew 22 comes to Jesus and he's all frustrated because Jesus has just upset all the religious leaders and he's going to try to get Jesus now and he goes, what's the greatest of all the commandments? Jesus says, here's the greatest of all the commandments. Love God with all your everything, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And these two are absolutely inseparable. They're two sides of the same coin. Love gives. So in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's love defined from God's standpoint. Love is messy and love is costly. 
There is no other kind of love. Love is messy and it's costly and there is no other kind of love. Now let me remind you, I'm here today to give you a charge. What is this all about? Why does Redemption Tucson exist? Redemption Tucson does not exist to be a distributor of religious goods and services, like every business that you go out to distributes you some good and some service. That's not what the church is. The church is intended to be a community, a real, authentic, true community that exists based upon, because of the love of God, because of the messy, costly love of God, and therefore lives in the mess at cost to ourselves which we'll get to in a minute. Love defined by God is messy and it is costly. He loved us, he sent his son, which is costly, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation is a really big word. In fact, it's debated in the church. There's a lot of people in Christianity that don't like this terminology propitiation. I think that's a real troublesome reality for this reason. Sin hurts people. Sin hurts you. Sin hurts me. Sin hurts Tucson. Sin hurts the University of Arizona, as it does Arizona State University. Sin hurts leaders. Sin hurts families. Sin hurts marriages. Traumatically so. If you love somebody and really care about them, you get angry with what's hurt them, right? Even if what they've done is hurt themselves, you're angry at the fact that they've done that because you so love them. A lot of people struggle with this reality of like, God gets angry? Well, here's what I'd say. Love demands anger. There's a woman who's an excellent theologian named Rebecca Manley Pippert, Becky Pippert. She says this, we tend to be taken aback by the thought that God could be angry. How can a deity who's perfect and loving ever be angry? We take pride in our tolerance of the excesses of others. So what is God's problem? Stop, see what she's saying? We take pride in, okay, those people live in excess, whether it's wealth, the excess of wealth. And God tells us in the book of Isaiah, the plunder of the poor is in your closets. But oh, I'm, I mean, who cares, right? Like, they've got a lot. They live in the excess. Sexual excess. Oh, you know, boys will be boys. Girls will be girls. Yeah, but there's a wake of people in the path of that sexual excess. Just name the issue in our gluttony of food and there are hungry people. But we take pride in our tolerance of the excesses of others. So what's God's problem? Here's God's problem. Here's, here's her argumentation. God is love and love detests that which destroys the beloved. You can't say you love and go, because I love you, live whatever way you want. No, love is heartbroken in what destroys the beloved. Real love stands against the deception, stands against the lie, stands against the sin that destroys. She then says, nearly a century ago, 
there was a theologian named E.H. Glifford who wrote this. So you see this is a quote within a quote. All you English majors, make sure the punctuation's correct, right? E.H. Glifford wrote, human love here offers a true analogy. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard. Or I could say the more a son loves the father, he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. Becky Pippert picks up, anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. I just don't even think about it. I don't care. There's too much to care about in the world. Right? I can't even, I won't even take it upon myself to be angry at that stuff. Like, it just is what it is. That's hate. The final form of hate is you don't care. How can a good God forgive bad people without compromising himself? Does he just play fast and loose with the facts? Oh, never mind. Boys will be boys. Try telling that to a survivor of the Cambodian killing fields or to someone who just lost an entire family in the Holocaust, or to a girl on the U of A campus who's just been raped. Boys will be boys. No, to be truly good, one has to be outraged by evil and implacably hostile to injustice. That's what propitiation is. God took upon himself all of the horrors all of the haunting, all of the horror of sin, all of the effect of sin, all of the injustice and unrighteousness of sin, all of the pain that put those girls in the wake, that put those boys in the wake, that sat under fatherly abuse, that sat under political abuse, that sat under injustice, that sat un under indifference, that sat under living in prosperity and privilege while everybody else died. God took that all upon himself. Why? Because of love. He exhausted the wrath and horror of sin. That's what propitiation means. Folks, if you live in the real world, you fight for the word propitiation to stay in there because you know the horrors of sin. You know the horrors of hell here on earth. And you go, who's going to deliver us from this world, this body, this reality of death? Thanks be to God who in Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. That's love, right? This is not a Hallmark card, right? Like this is not a bumper sticker. That's serious stuff. Live in the real world. This is serious stuff. Martin Luther King didn't say, love's the key that unlocks the door to, to ultimate reality without blood, sweat, tears, cost, and mess. Love starts with God. It's the foundation point is God. We don't get to define what love is. He does. And he starts and says, it's messy and it's costly. Now, Here's where it really begins to get into our kitchens, your dish, your life, your neighborhood. Like God's moving in and he's going, wow, God loved that? In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to get messy, costly, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now look at what he says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, this is the point where we talk about the cost of discipleship, right? If that's how God loves 
And the next line is, okay, friends, right? You're like waiting for, here's your tea in crumpets, right? Dear, like I said, like real nice. Okay, dear friends, tea and crumpets, this is going to be easy, right? If God loved us like that, you get messy. You love it cost. This is who we are. If you've so experienced the costly love of God on your behalf, you don't then revel and relish in all oh, the love of God and stay there. You receive the love of God to give the love of God. You're blessed by God to be a blessing. Why do we continue to want to start churches? Not for the sake of building a brand. Let me just say this to you as the lead pastor of Redemption Arizona. I could give a flying rip about building a brand. I don't care. Candidly, in my most godly moments where I'm connected with God, it makes me want to vomit to think about it. This isn't about us. And let me tell you, it's not about you. Well, let's say it a better way. It's about the true you. The you God ultimately made to be a lover at cost to themselves in which you will never know real life. You will never know real joy. You will never know real satisfaction without looking at Jesus in his mess and cost and then saying, I'm going to receive from him so I may live that way. This isn't about us starting another church so that now people can go, now you have 11? Now you have 12? How many people do you have in your church? Just, if you guys are here for the first time or you've been here for a long time, please, if that ever gets in the water at Redemption Tucson, like, make it a habit as corny and ridiculous as it is. Just stick your finger in your mouth and be like, okay, we're supposed to vomit at that, right? That's where we're supposed to vomit. But at the moment, people go, hey, guys, there's a really needy person in our church. At cost to our time, at cost to our image, at cost to our pocketbooks, at cost to our comfort, at cost to our convenience, at cost to our safety, at cost to our security, let's love them. Cheer that, right? Celebrate that. That's what we're doing. That's what God's saying. Dear friends, if God so loved you like this, and you're receiving it, and he says the fundamental call of Christianity is come follow me, then we're following a God who is love, who shows us love in the midst and because he's willing to get messy at cost to himself for our good. And we go, if we follow that God, we follow him into love and death, which is mess and cost, is always at the center of love. Make that a statement you keep saying to each other over and over and over. Death is at the center of love. So now when marriages begin, and you're making vows of commitment in the front to be married to somebody and say, I'm going to protect this in everything in you, thinking this is so great for me. This is so great for me. Remember, the fundamental call of marriage is the fundamental call to love, and death is at the center of love. you got to die to yourself. I say this a lot to people, uh, especially if, if you get around Christianity very much and get a little bit deeper you begin to hear this, hear this terminology because it's in the Bible, multiple points of persecution, which means because you're a Christian, you're prevented benefits. But more importantly, it's, it's really dangerous to be a Christian. That's the idea of, of persecution, right? 
So people will have these statements like, you know, we need security in churches now, which I'm not against, just so you know, but we need security in churches because there might be, you know, some Islamic terrorists who are willing to come in and blow up a church, right? And you'll have these moments where people will be like, man, if they walked in and had machetes to my neck, would you right now renounce Christ or stay with him? And you'll have all these people like, I've never renounced Jesus, right? But today, there's going to be all kinds of husbands who go home and their wives are going to go, can you stand up and go take out the trash? And they're going to go, don't you know the football games are on? It's like, guys, I promise you, if you're unwilling to die to yourself and take out the trash, you're not going to take a machete to the neck. <laughs> you're not going to do it. Right? Like, that's the unbelievable nature of love is that it has to do with dying to yourself. Here's what following Jesus is. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In the simplest things of taking out the trash to the biggest things of not renouncing Jesus with a machete to your neck. It's the same thing. Love always has cost and mess to it. Dear friends, if God loved like this, if this is the God we serve, it's not an option. That's what this is about. This isn't about the worship experience that we come in because I like the music. I like Stephen's voice. I like the way he articulates that word. Right? I like the, the feel of the environment. What does that mean? Right? If the feel of the environment is a bunch of people who radically love each other at cost of themselves, praise hallelujah, right? But if it's like, oh, I like it. It's the new hip church in town. What? Like, who is this Christ we serve? I'm not saying it couldn't be good and we don't want to do things to the best of our possible ability, but that's all to cultivate affections, deep level feelings and affections that go, I'm willing to give myself away because I've received from a God who gave himself away for me. And I recognize the only way I can give myself away, the only way I can die to myself is if I depend. Those are the two phrases I think about all the time. Death is at the center of love independence for love. In this is love, not that we love God. It doesn't start with us. It didn't begin with us. We didn't get our faith because we decided to love God. We love God, 1 John, because he first loved us. We will only love our neighbors because God continues to love us. We have to depend upon that and receive from God. From God and through others, we have to receive their love as a means to be loving individuals. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Loving our neighbor is the principal way, the principal way that God desires for us to express our love for him. Okay, I'm going to say that again because this is kind of a turning to make this point. It's not just that we should follow, dear children, as God so loved us, you also ought to love one another. It's the only thing that makes logical sense. That's one point. But loving our neighbor is the principal way that God desires for us to express our love for him. The whole book of 1 John, the whole book of James, the whole Bible, for God's sake, says, don't you dare say you love God and not love your neighbor. The greatest of all the commandments. Love God with all your everything and your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. You cannot say, cannot say, cannot say, impossibility, you love God 
if you don't love your neighbor. It's not Christianity. It's impossible. You can't see a sister or a brother in need, whatever it may be, and not have your heart melt unto the point, right? Seeing them, first and foremost, we're not indifferent people. Christians, it is impossible to be a Christian and be indifferent. We see things. We see the hurts. We see the pains. We're moved by compassion, which leads us to action. That's what a Christian is by definition. Okay, I am utterly convinced. I was talking to Dave about this this morning. We are in the predicament that we're in as Christians in our culture in major part to the fact that we didn't obey the simple things. Doesn't mean simple things aren't hard things. We're in the predicament that we are because we've not loved God and loved our neighbor. If you want to go on our third anniversary, what do we need to remember? The grand mission, the great strategy. God's made it all. The grand mission and the great strategy, really simple. Love God with all your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. It's excruciatingly hard. Excruciating meaning messy and costly. But that's what it is. That's all it is. Is loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me end with this statement because this gets really weird in this passage. After he says this, John defining love, remember he starts the whole section off in this is love. He says this No one has seen God at any time. Honestly, if you're sitting there reading this, you're like, What the heck is this guy talking about? Like, like look at this in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, that's loved ones. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then it says, no one has ever seen God. Like, what? And then it says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love's perfect. Doesn't it make way more sense to just say, we also ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Like English majors, anybody, literature majors, does that make any, like what is it? Literature majors, you're like the subtleties, so you love this. Like what's underneath it, right? But just straight logic, English meters are like, what in the world? Like, take that out. What is he saying? No one has ever seen God. Here's the thing, Redemption Tucson. Churches exist so that God would be seen. Now, we just said, this is really simple. Is it the grand strategy, grand mission? Do the simple things. What's he saying? If the point of all of this is that we as individuals, we as families, would see God and in turn allow the world to see all over the gospel of John that the world may know, that the world may know. It's another way to say that the world may see. What do you think he's saying? When you hear the phrase, no one's ever seen God, Deep down, here's a big word, existentially, what that conjures up in you or should is, I want to see God. That's what Moses said. Like, God, just show me a bit of you. Show me your glory. Show me you. I want to see God, right? It's like anything. You can't do that. I want to do it, right? You can't see it. I want to see it. You want to see God. But then you say, but if I am the beloved, which is the church, that's what he says, beloved, if God so loved us, you go, you should be going, I want them to see. Here's the question. How are they going to see? 
this shouldn't be hard. How are they going to see God? Just follow the logic of the passage. By us in front of them, loving God with everything we have, heart, soul, mind, and strength. How does that get expressed? This is the quiz at the end of the message. How do we express our love for God? In what? Loving our neighbor. The primary way we express our love for God is in loving our neighbor. How's the world going to see God? By us living out the simple command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Defined, love defined, because its foundation point is God in costly, messy love. Now here's where this is about your life. And I don't just mean your living and breathing life. I mean your life Capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E. There's nobody in this room that if you were offered, do you want real life? That you wouldn't go, I want that. By the way, Jesus offered that. I came to give them life and give it to the full. That's the kind of life we're talking about. Your life is fundamentally contingent, yoked to, tied to your seeing God. Not just distantly, experientially. Look at this. If we love one another, God abides, lives, dwells, is that word, in us. And his love is perfected in us. You want to know the love of God? You want to experience the dwelling nature of the God of the universe who made all things and upholds all things in us? Christ in you, the hope of glory. How does he say you see God? Not just them. How do you see God? Love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you guys have ever uh, read or seen the play or the movie Les Mes? Anybody think just off the top of your tongue, you don't need to say it out loud, but there's this statement in Les Mes that Victor Hugo writes at the end of this incredible story about grace. And there's this line, to love another person. Anybody, can anybody complete it? Is, is to see, no, no? Did it go, oh, there you go. You, you cheaters. Go ahead and put it up. To love another person is to see the face of God. I am utterly, unquestionably convinced when he penned that line, he had been meditating for a long time on 1 John 4, 10 through 12. Victor Hugo is a believer. To love another person is to see the face of God. You will not experience intimacy with God. He will not abide in you. You won't experience him. You won't know him in the fullness of life unless you obey him. And what's the fundamental command, the greatest of all the commandments? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. The only way you can love, love God with all your everything and love your neighbor is yourself. As we end, I want to read this last quote to you by Martin Luther King, not the same one we read before. He talked over and over and over about love. It was a great book um, I know Dave's read, but it's called Strength to Love by Martin Luther King. This is actually from an essay called Loving Your Enemies, where MLK says this, now, there is a final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies. This is how strong love goes in Jesus. Not just love your neighbor, but he says, love your enemies. Here's why he says, love your enemies. It is this, that love has within it a redemptive power. And there's a power 
there that eventually transforms individuals. Okay, God is about not information. He's about transformation. What transforms human beings, I wish I could do a whole seminar on this, what transforms human beings, not just what the Bible says, but now what brain science all says, what trauma experts all say, what all the counselors say, sociologists say, what transforms people is loving, connected, costly relationships. King said this way before brain science, right? It is this love has within it a redemptive power. There's a power there that eventually transforms individuals. Just keep being friendly to that person. Just keep loving them. And they can't stand it too long. Right? Jesus says it's like heaping burning coals on their head. They can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with guilty feelings. Sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period. But just keep on loving them. And by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. Even if when they break down is after they've literally killed you, okay? They'll break down under the load. That's love, you see. It's redemptive. And this is why Jesus says love. There's something about love that builds up. There's something about love that's creative. All you artists in there, there's something about love that's creative. There's something about hate that tears down and is destructive. Read that again. There's something about love that builds up and is creative. There's something about hate that tears down and is destructive. So love your enemies. There's nothing I could tell you that our context and culture needs more. Nothing than real love. Defined by God, costly and messy, in ever need of dependence upon God and each other. But it needs this. So Redemption Tucson's third year anniversary, I have to ask you this, because love's creative, because every person in this room, whether you believe or you don't believe, is made in the image of a God who is love, so love is at the core of your DNA. Whether you believe or you don't believe, that's true. Here's what I want you to imagine with me for a minute as we leave. What would it look like if we, together, loved like this? Let your imagination go. What would it look like? What would your homes look like, your dorms look like, your apartments look like? What would your workplace look like? What would your school look like? What would our streets look like? What would this worship experience look like, the lobby and this moment? What would our city look like? What would our nation look like? Here's the last thing I want to say to you. Based upon the promise that you will see God in loving, what would your joy look like? in the midst of a world ravaged by anxiety and depression. What would your joy look like if we chose to love like this? Let's pray. Father, you're extraordinary, and your love is matchless. There is nothing we could do, no matter how creative or imaginative we may be, or how much we're willing to give up, that could even touch your love. And yet we pray as you've promised that by the power of your Holy Spirit, come, come Holy Spirit, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would shed your love abroad in our hearts that we would know we are your daughters and your sons. 
and that through the Spirit-given love being poured out into our hearts, we would truly, authentically, real, in real, real way, be able to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.